too many people jump in, they look at the money and they think, oh, we're going to get rich quick and I'm just going to buy a couple thousand dollar geckos and, and they're like swimwear. And that's not how it works. And then... Hello and welcome. My name is Bobby, and this is the very first episode of the Gecko Cove Connection, the podcast geared towards gargoyle gecko keepers. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing our very first guest, Aaron Ashley. Aaron is the proud owner and operator of Southern Girl Exotics in South Carolina. She has gorgeous gargoyle geckos, has been working with them for over eight years, been breeding them for five, and really has amped up her quality and bloodlines in the past three. In today's episode, we'll be going over questions like, are gargoyle geckos better pets than other New Caledonian geckos? What is the general care for gargoyle geckos at each stage of their life? As well as, is social media a positive or a negative in the gargoyle gecko hobby? And lastly, is the economy as bleak with gargoyle geckos as it is with some of the other reptiles in this hobby? If that sounds interesting to you, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the code. This. All right. Well, welcome our guest, Aaron Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'll start off with a, a pretty easy question. We just talked about how you've been keeping uh, reptiles for eight years. You've been breeding now for five years, uh, and really things have amped up in the last, what, three years. So can you tell me a little bit yeah. about Southern Girl Exotics, uh, how you came up with the name, and just you know, kind of your journey from the beginning to where you are now? Well, I'm a Florida born and bred um, Floridian, so Southern just fits, and I've stayed in the South. I'm in South Carolina now, and my roots are just Southern um, because I'm independently just womanly owned. Girl just fit in there. It was a pretty simplistic name. I'm not going to say I put a ton of thought into it. Um, I just wanted something <laughs> that kind of represented my, my roots, and it did. Um, so it's just a fun name. And then of course I did a little play on words with the spelling of girl, but, um, other than that, it, it wasn't fully thought out and I didn't put a lot of thought into it. It was just a fun name I could put together. But, um, I started getting into reptiles. Actually, we did a party. I've always been into animals. I was raised in the suburbs around animals my whole life. My parents always bought us cows and sheep and goats. We had all this crazy stuff in the suburbs. Our neighbors hated us, but my daughter had a birthday I'd done for her with um, the reptile keeper here in South Carolina, or critter keeper, that's who he is. And he did this amazing display. Um, and it really just, it awed me as much as it awed the kids. So, you know, you start out with like the bearded dragon and then the leopard geckos. Um, and then your passion just grows from there. They're just incredible pets to own. Um, and then breeding, I think, comes naturally to all of us. I think it's such a big part of getting into the hobby that I think most people at least try to breed. Um, and so it was just something that worked for me. I enjoyed doing it. I put plans in place of what I wanted to accomplish. And then, of course, as my interest in different species grew, so did my desire to start breeding different species. Um, so I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. But yeah, the last three years, things have really amped up for me. I'm at a good place where I'm producing animals that I'm really, really proud of. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I started uh, down the road of reptiles, breeding was always one of those cool things where I'm like, oh, if I could actually get eggs, hatch something out. There's just something that just brought back, you know, um, some of my childhood dreams, right? Either whether it was with Pokemon or, or other uh, animals, just hatching something out right. that you've created is just, I think, draws us uh, to that, that hobby. Um, and I think a lot of us start off with that bearded dragon, right? Uh, something yep. easy to handle. And I think geckos are sort of taking over that intro introductory level, uh, easy to handle, easy to care for, for a uh, lizard. And uh, so I know we're going to talk a lot about gargoyles today, but what other uh, animals have you kept and what are you currently working with? Um, gargoyle geckos are my main now. I started with African fat tails. I still have a few um, genes that I'm working with with them. I did sell a lot of those um, just to downsize because they take a lot of space. I'm big on no matter what I'm going to breed, it's going to have efficient space. 
Um, and if you have a ton of African fat tails, it's going to take up almost everything that I have for space. So I downsize, but I, I, I love them so much I'll never get rid of them. Gargoyle geckos are my other one. Crested geckos is where I started with the new Caledonia geckos. Um, they're such a good place to start because they are so easy to breed. They're so productive. Um, and you don't have a lot of the risk that you run with like gargoyle geckos or lychees where you have to worry about trauma or a lot of accidents during breeding. So it's, they're a great place to start. But again, I've kind of downsized on them as well um, to focus more on gargs. Lychees, I'm hoping to get them started by next year. Everybody should be full grown. I've already got a couple females that are laying duds. And then I'm hoping to branch out into some Europlatus species, some of the bigger Europlatus like Fembriatus and the Silk Array, um, as well as knobtails. That is next on my list. I love knobtails. I've kept my one knobtail nipples for about six years now, I love six that or name. seven years. I love it. Well, it looks like he's got little nipples all over him. Um, so I, yeah. just, I love that animal. I love that animal. So I am excited to branch out into them in the near future. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I know a lot of advice that I hear is to kind of stick to similar species and just keeping with the, the different geckos probably makes it a little bit easier. It's so tempting to just, you know, you want to have them all, right? Um, but we, we definitely Absolutely. try to focus in on the quality versus the quantity. What is, uh, where, where's your numbers at as far as, let's just talk about gargoyles for the moment. Uh, how many okay. breeding pairs do you have right now? How many babies? What, what kind of numbers um, are we looking at as far as a collection? Gargoyle geckos, as you know, can be a little finicky with breeding. First-year breeders tend to be a little finicky. Mm -hmm. I can have five pairs of crested geckos and get 40 eggs, and I can have 12 pairs of gargoyle geckos and only get 10 eggs for the season. Um, so right this year, I've got 12 pairs going. Um, some of them did great and are still laying, and then I've got a couple that gave me mostly duds, or they went bad, or they only gave me two clutches, or they didn't do well paired up, so I had to um, separate. And also, gargs, in my experience anyways, when I separate them, I may get one more fertile clutch out of them, but once I separate, they usually won't okay. continue to lay fertile clutches like crested geckos do. Um, so hmm, as far okay. as how many I got going, I've got 12 pairs. I don't know how many gargs I have. If you're asking that question, I have no idea how many I own. We've got a lot. So. No, it's okay. That the pairs help, um, you know, because right now I'm. This is my first year breeding uh, gargoyle geckos, and I have. I started with three. Ended up uh, pairing one girl late, um, just because mm -hmm. she started throwing duds and she was of age, and right. you know. I've really, it's been really spotty. I've got one girl who's consistent. Every 60 days, she lays a beautiful clutch of eggs. Uh, the eggs do really well. Then some of my other girls, my, my favorite girl who I was really hoping to get a lot of eggs out of, I've gotten one fertile clutch, one clutch that looked good but went bad, and then uh, two clutches that just, you know, were absolute duds. Uh, and she's That's very sporadic on when she'll even lay. And so, you know, I've got one other girl who literally has laid one egg. I thought she was maybe infertile. Um, now, they're all first-year breeders, so I'm working with all right. virgins here, which is, which is frustrating. But I'm getting through it, and I'm hoping next uh, season will be a little bit more consistent. But from what it sounds right. like with gargoyles, I think that's why they hold their value, is they're not as consistent and prolific that's as exactly those crested geckos. And, and your yeah. likelihood to produce, not many people will continue to produce fire animals every clutch so we're just not producing yeah. as many as you see in the you know the big traits with crested geckos um so gargs should hold their value for quite a while yeah and i'll be honest with you i thought that they weren't as cool as, as crested geckos when i first saw them oh, and then no. i started to see the red base red stripe the blotches oh, and I, it changed me because all i saw was the brown ones um, right. And I'm like, oh, that to me is a little mini dragon, and I fell in love. I sold off any crested gecko I had yep. and bought into them wholesale. So uh, definitely fallen in That's love there, obviously. That's one of my favorite parts is how vibrant they are. And, you know, gargoyle geckos will perch. A lot of the new cows hide. Gargoyle geckos will actually perch. Mm -hmm. So even if it's an animal you don't want to handle, if you put in the money to invest in a nice, colorful garg, it's going to make an incredible display animal. Because they're right yeah. out there in the open for anybody to see. Oh, I love them. They're beautiful. And with the reds, you know, with crested geckos, when they fire down, it's a pink. It's all washed out. Sometimes, you know, as they get older, they lose that anyway. Where right. with the gargoyles, what I love is that that red, even if it washes out a little bit with age, 
whether it's fired up, fired down, you can see the coloration. Um, and so I absolutely just love it. Some of my blotch girls look way better fired down than they do fired up. Yeah, I um, agree. Which I, I find very I interesting. So, well, you'll also well, learn I would love throughout breeding yeah. that they will lose their color as they breed. So your, fe your males mm -hmm. don't, but typically your females, a fire female that's just incredible. If you've bred her a couple seasons, nine times out of ten, she'll start losing some of that coverage and that saturation. It, it's sad. I, I hate it, but at least I keep pictures so that everybody can know once upon a time. She was amazing. <laughs> so, Yeah. Exactly. And the babies are going to get that, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've even noticed with my, my fully red girl, she's starting to lose her color even within the first season. Uh, but yeah. she's still so saturated that it's going to take a while to get rid of all that color. Um, yeah. But yeah, I am noticing that for sure. Um, well, I really want to kind of t pick your brain about how you keep your geckos. I think it's really important. We've talked a little bit about how important the hobby's hu uh, husbandry is. Um, right. You hear a lot of different ways to keep these geckos. Uh, and we won't get too into the weeds with breeding, but I think that kind of goes hand in hand a little bit. But so let's start. Let's pretend I've never kept a gecko. This is three years ago. I'm just starting to get into it. Um, if I'm buying a baby gecko from you, how, how do you recommend people keep them if they're just keeping them as a pet? Well, first I'm going to say I fully believe that we can keep these animals very differently. Everybody doesn't have to have a set way to mm -hmm. keep them. We have had They have been bred long enough in captivity that they've evolved to be very forgiving and be a lot more diverse in how you can keep them. I personally think up to about Agreed. 12 grams. You can keep them in six quarts if you're getting it, which I won't sell anything that needs to be in a six quart. If somebody is, that's up to them. But I personally, if I'm selling a gecko, it's not going to be small enough to be kept in a six quart bin. But if you happen to get a hatchling or a baby that's about 12 grams or less, you absolutely can do a six quart bin. You could do a 12 by 12 by 12. You could do a 12 by 18 by 12. Um, all of those, I think, are efficient for babies. Um, once they get about 15 grams to 30 grams, you can keep them in a 15-quart tub. I actually sell the converted 15-quart tubs at shows for any of my juveniles that I'm selling. I think it's a great way for people to start awesome. out when they're keeping the species um, because, one, you can monitor their poop. You can monitor their eating easier. Um, you can monitor their humidity better in a smaller bin. I've heard some people say that because they're being raised in smaller bins, they think that's why they have such a hard time being little and adjusting to bigger enclosures. Uh, it kind of makes sense, but I don't know that I believe that. Um, I think that these guys are just captive bred over decades now, and they're not used to being thrown in a big giant 18 by 18 by 24 when they're only 5 grams, um, and so it can be overwhelming. So it's again if somebody yep. wants to put a baby in in an 18 by 18 by 24 if you give it lots of feeding places and you're not overcrowded with foliage where it's just going to lose itself in there you can probably make it work but i think for babies you should start out with six quarts or 15 quart tubs or one of the smaller like 12 by 18 by 12s and yeah, that's how I, I sort of started. I you know came from the world with uh, bearded dragons, and even bearded dragons, right. you don't want to throw them into an adult size enclosure. You you start off with a twenty gallon, and you work your way up, um, just right. for similar reasons. But I did want to start off with something. I think I started off a little bit too big with my very first gargoyle gecko, and I learned really quickly that it was easier to maintain and watch them a little bit smaller. They grew a lot faster. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, we can keep them differently. I, I think also the difference between yeah. a pet and breeding, um, not that we want to lower standards to the point where the gecko is being hurt in any way, shape or form when you're breeding, but there is a different you know, type of, of utility to things where the gecko, as long as it gets the right food and shelter and humidity, um, they're going to thrive and grow faster, I believe, in, in more, you know, bare bones uh, setups. Whereas, they you know, are. like you said, you can totally just throw a baby into a big enclosure if you're not worried about it growing fast, you know, if you're not really yeah. trying to, to get it to the point where you can breed it eventually. Um, and if you're skilled, so, I mean, if you know what to look for yeah. and you're skilled on what to look for, absolutely throw them into a big enclosure and keep your eye on them. Most first-time keepers that are asking these questions, though, they're not skilled with keeping them. They don't know what to look for. Right. They're constantly nervous. 
Um, so I just think tubs, and I'm not big on tubs. Don't get me wrong. I don't like putting adults in tubs. Sure. None of my adult gargoyle geckos live in the big tubs. I'll do, if I run out of room, then that means I can't produce any more animals until I sell some. Um, I like glass. Yep. I like PVC. I think you can decorate it more efficiently for them. Um, I also think a lot of people come for tubs in smaller spaces out of miseducation. These animals are nocturnal, and what we, what little bit we do know about scientifically their background is that typically in the wild, they only come out at night for a couple hours to hunt. That's usually all the movement mm -hmm. they really have, and then they typically go back in and rest. You know, they only have a little bit of energy even in the wild when they're getting a little bit of UVB to go out and hunt. So these, these guys aren't like migrating all over the place. They don't need miles and miles of movement. And I know that's, you know, I, people use that argument for snakes and keeping them in small tubs where they're coiled 24-7, and I don't agree with that. And so it's kind of hypocritical to say that in this aspect, but it's a little different. These animals, like mine are in, this, these enclosures behind me are 18 by 12 by 18s, and they've got single females okay. that are done with breeding season. And so it's, it's deep, it's tall, it's only got a little bit of length. But still, it's perfect for them. They have plenty of room to hide. They yep. have plenty of room to move. And it's cozy enough that they can focus on eating and resting and doing what they need to do to recover from breeding season. Perfect. Well, okay, that leads me perfectly into my next question is, you know, with your adults now, all right, you just explained where you keep your, your females singly. Uh, when you pair them up, do you pair them up one-on-one? -on -one? Do you pair them up in a group? And what size enclosure do you put your breeding pairs in? I have 18 by 18 by 30s. I also have 18 by 18 by 24s. Um, so all of them are rep to zoo enclosures. Um, I don't do anything more than a trio. Lots of people do. They do groups. They do four and five females mm -hmm. to one male. I don't, one, I like to know what my lineage is, so I like to be able to tell people these eggs came from X and Y, you know. Um, so other people just want to do groups, that's perfectly fine. But I will not put more than a trio in an 18 by 18 by 30, um, and I would prefer just to do the pairs in the 18 by 18 by 24s. Um, and I don't keep them, I know lots of people keep them year round, I keep them for about six months and then they separate. So that six months period from the time they start laying, once I get about four clutches, then I'll separate and they'll go into one of these 18 by 12 by 18s and they'll rest for the next six months until I either shelf them the next year to rest or they breed, you know, I decide to pair them up in December again. And you said unlike crested geckos, if you were to just pair them up, I know some breeders recommend that you just pair them up for a few days, they'll retain sperm and then you can potentially repair mid-season. You're saying you keep them together for the entire season and then separate them yes. to cool. Yes. Okay. I don't, I mean, it, and this is just my experience. Like I said, my girls will not consistently oh, sure. lay once they're separated. Once they're separated, I'll get maybe one more clutch out of them. And that sh that's even if I've already got just one clutch out of them. It's, that's not girls that have already laid two and three clutches. That's if I've gotten one clutch and I separate them, I'll usually get one more clutch if I'm lucky. And then anything after that will be infertile. Um, and gargs, I think, you know, and another whole topic we won't get on, but I'm not convinced a lot of these <laughs> animals are completely solitary. You know, when I watch these animals interact and I watch them be caged up together, I'm not convinced that these animals are just completely solitary like we think they are. Um, so personally, nope. I kind of like when they're paired up and they have some other type of enrichment and an animal, you know, in there with them. But again, you still have to watch. You always mm -hmm. have to watch with these animals. I mean, they are wild animals. They can get aggressive, yep. just like us. They, when they've had enough, they've had enough. Yep. And they got sharp little teeth. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I agree. I, I see them kind of, you know, certain pairs that I have uh, together. I'll see them cuddled up, you know, kind of like you see with lychees where they're in a log together and, and yeah. they're, they're never really far away from each other. Um, I mean, they snuggle more than me and my wife do. So, I, you know, it's and one I of those know that's things. Not where... a term. That's not a term people like yeah. to use with reptiles. They snuggle. I get it. They're not snuggling, but I, they're know, not snuggling, but it's a joke. That is they're, they're competing for resources. And I just don't see that with these animals. It's not, for me, it's not competing with resources when they have, you know, ledges and hides and tons of other places they could uh -huh. be, but they choose to be in the same location 
with all the same temps, all the same, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm not with that argument. Yeah. It's not like we just have one cork tube in there. Right, right. So, there's no, something no, 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 more no. about We're definitely them not we just saying don't it. know yet. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard for us to say that we know everything. There's such a new, Absolutely. newly kept species in this the scheme of things. I mean, reptiles Absolutely. in general, we've only been keeping for, you know, about 100 years. So, um, awesome. So, that's how you keep your adults. Uh, you know, I would ask, you know, what other type of, you know, we talked about cork tubes and potentially vines and different ledges. How would you recommend someone decorate their enclosure to really make sure that, you know, it has an enriching life, but also it meets all of its needs? I think the biggest thing is stop overdoing it. I see a lot of people that okay. overdo their enclosures where, I mean, that that gecko couldn't find his butthole if he tried. It's insane what I see in some of these enclosures. Um, let's see if you can kind of see mine, but mine are pretty basic. I like to use cork tubes, the pool noodles. I like to use these pool noodles. I think they're nice and porous. You know, gargs don't use their sticky pads as well as crested geckos. So anything porous is easier for them to climb on. I love the fake plants. Fake plants are easy to clean. I don't spend a ton investing in them. Um, and then cork bark. I think cork bark is important for them to, one, have hiding spaces, but also um, to have other ways to climb up their enclosures, you know, because again, they don't do well sticking on, a lot of them don't do well sticking on glass or sticking on PVC. They rely a lot more on nope. their nails than they do just their sticky pads. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I use a ton of cork bark, a um, little bit of uh, fake plants and things like that, but um, yeah, I, I barely ever see them climbing on the, the PVC or the plastic. And when I had glass enclosures, uh, very rarely did I ever see them climb on that. Where I do find them is sometimes right. is the, the vent holes because it's got such great grip where the, uh -huh. um, the screening is. My babies yep. especially, they love Always. just hanging out there yeah. and getting some fresh air. So... Yep. Um, is, so let's t talk about substrate. I know that's a big question for a lot of new keepers. Um, and for me, it really depends on the age. So for babies, I use paper towel. Uh, I change it out pretty much every other uh, day for them. But it's a good way to make sure that they're eating, by, by checking for poop. Um, it's a good way. I feed a lot of crickets to my babies. And so they, the crickets can't hide as easily in that. Um, but then for my adults, I switched over to uh, a substrate. Uh, I use cocoa chunk mixed with cocoa fiber, and that really keeps the humidity in okay. well for me in my enclosures. Um, and right. I don't use a lay box. I use uh, just kind of that piled up in one corner. But how do you keep your geckos? Do you, what kind of substrate do you recommend, and what do you use? Um, I use the Zillish Jungle Mix. It's the peat moss mix. I just think it holds moisture better. Yep. I'm not having to mist as much with this many animals. Um, so as long as I once a week re-saturate that, um, that substrate, I tend to only need to mist once or twice a week each cage, and that helps tremendously. Like you, I keep my babies on paper towels. I have just seen horrific stories from people that are newer keepers that keep their babies on substrate. I also think we can get a little lazy with substrate because substrate hides poop, it hides mess, it hides debris, um, whereas when you have paper towels for your babies, you know, okay, there's two poops in there, we got to get it cleaned, versus if there was substrate in there, you have a much higher risk of letting it kind of pollute and missing it and getting pretty nasty in there. I also saw somebody not too long ago that put all of her babies on substrate and they all ended up with a neurological issue. They didn't hatch with a neurological oh, issue, um, but she, she said the only thing she changed was the substrate. So I'm not sure if there was something in the substrate, maybe a fertilizer or something like that. I'm not sure what exactly caused it, but it was really weird that they didn't Do you know what substrate it was? I have no idea. I have no idea. It looked okay. like a cocoa fiber. This was this was probably about six months ago. It was one of the Facebook groups. I just thought it was really, really sure. odd. Um, one, I don't see many people do that. Not many people do substrate for their babies. Um, but two, I thought it was odd that like there was six of them that all ended up with a neurological like bounce. Their heads were bouncing. It was really weird. Really weird. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. No, yeah. maybe. 
anything that causes that to happen, we want to kind of get down to the bottom of it. But uh, yeah, I think there's just too many pros for using uh, just paper towel for babies and you know not enough for using substrate that may change in the future for with a certain substrate that might come out where people you know inform each other but for right now i think everybody's pretty much in consensus there right absolutely but uh yeah and then your adults you said you use your uh the jungle mix Uh, i've actually used that before but i'll be honest with you I my biggest issue is when i start digging for eggs in it there's something in there where i have an allergic reaction to it Really? And I get little splinters. Yeah, I don't know. It, maybe I'm just, you know, just that sensitive. But uh, I do yeah. get, I did get a splinter a couple times when I was digging in it. So you're right about that. I have gotten splinters with it. Um, yeah. But I just like it better than cocoa fiber. Cocoa fiber dries oh, out. Yeah. I've also had moldy issues. Um, it molds mm. a lot more with just cocoa fiber. So I've just like, it's worked for me. So it's one that I've liked. Yeah. It's great. I used it for a while and just switched because of that reason. But uh, right. yeah, it definitely holds humidity in, in like a champ. Um, now, do you use a lay box for, for your geckos or do you just let I them do, uh, lay in the substrate? Them, they lay where they want. They all have lay boxes, um, but they may lay in the cork tube. And like you, I also always put like a higher corner of substrate, even with the lay box in there. Um, because sometimes, you know, the lay box may dry out a little bit or it may not be full enough for them or it may be too full, whatever reason they decide not to lay in it. I like them to have a separate option. And I don't know if you've noticed, but most of my girls, even if they know they have a lay box, they tend to dig in the soil first anyways. They may move Mm -hmm. over to the lay box to lay, but they always start digging in the soil first. So just to make it easier, I kind of just make sure there's a high corner in there of substrate plus the lay box, and then they all have cork tubes. Some of them lay in their cork tubes. Yeah, I get really excited when I come in to spray at night and I see one of my girls digging right in front. Then I I know know. something nice is going to happen that next day. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, it's awesome. I so. We've got the setup kind of, uh, uh, you know, talked about. Um, do you keep a water bowl in with your geckos with that high humidity substrate, or do you just rely on the mist? Because that's something that, say, that people debate about back and forth. Say that again, because you broke up. Sure. Um, so, in your enclosures, do you keep an, uh, a water bowl, or do you just rely on misting for the uh, humi- not just for the humidity, but also just for their water consumption? I thought it was really odd the other day to see somebody say they don't use water bowls. I always use water bowls. (laughs) Um, I don't have ledges, you know. I don't use, I don't spend all that money on ledges. My water bowls and my food dishes stay on the ground, which a lot of these animals ravage in in the wild on the ground for rotten food. I mean, that's a lot of the fruit they eat is the rotten foods that has fallen off trees. So it's not, you know, foreign for them to find their food on the ground. But um, I thought it was very odd that somebody said that they didn't use water cups for um, their animals. So I guess to each their own, no, I would not want to rely just on misting. You can't guarantee they're getting enough. Um, It seems like a lot of extra work to have to stand there for two and three minutes misting the enclosure just so each animal can drink, but to each his own. But no, I think you need to have a water dish. Yeah, that was one of the first things that I read when keeping uh, gargoyle geckos and crested geckos, for that matter, um, was just that they'll just lap up the water on the, on the side of the glass or wherever it may be. And, uh, you know, as soon as I'm like, you know what, I'm just I put it in with a bearded dragon. Uh, they always said that they didn't need a water bowl either, that they get their moisture from food. Um, but I saw my bearded dragon drinking out of water. And so actually, if you see behind me here, um, right going backwards with the camera um that little orange bowl there there's a green one they're just little uh silicone bowls but i dump those and fill them up every single night because if i come into my room sometimes i just like to come in around midnight if my kid wakes me up in the middle of the night um and see where where my geckos are what are they doing and they're usually down i've seen them chugging water i mean they just they they love it uh and so i've seen them use it and I'll never not have water bowls in there. But like you said, as long as your geckos are healthy, you do what you, you, right. you think is best. But I, I've, I've seen them use it, and I'm never going to go back to not using water bowls. And I also think people always forget that these are captive-bred animals, and they have been captive-bred for decades. You know, gargs have been around for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Crested geckos for like 50 years. These animals are all captive-bred now. They are not used to licking water 
off the enclosures or leaves. That's where that comes from. They they're like, oh, in the in the wild, exactly. they only get water off leaves. Well, if they've been born and bred in captivity for two decades, three decades. They don't drink off leaves anymore. Maybe if you have a wild-caught chameleon or a uroplatus that's wild-caught, maybe that's right. Maybe they won't drink out of a cup. But these animals, absolutely, that's what they're going to be accustomed to. These are not wild-caught animals. So I think a lot of people get on their high horse of what's right and what's wrong when they always leave out that these animals have been bred in captivity for decades. They evolve. They evolve. They change. Yep. So, yeah. Absolutely. I don't yeah. drink out of a lake or a stream anymore. I, I drink out of a right. faucet or, you know, or <laughs> I even get my fancy, you know, bottled water. So um, it's whatever you kind of grow up with. And these, these geckos have grown up, you know, drinking water, hopefully out of a bowl now. Um, no, that's awesome. Well, I think, you know, other than uh, we've got the enclosure kind of, you know, mapped out. Uh, do you use a misting system or do you just use an old fashioned pump system? No, I, it would be way too expensive for me, and especially the way that my room is set up because I can't run everything side by side. I've even got, you know, enclosures that kind of go through the middle of the room. It would just be way too expensive for me to try to buy several misting systems, so I hand mist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, you know, I have a mister. I bought one when I first started, and I only had, like, five geckos, and it worked beautifully because they all had the same Absolutely. size enclosure. They were all the same yeah. age. Um, and it just it made going on vacation a lot easier. But now that I'm up to about 20 geckos and they're all different <laughs> sizes and different size enclosures, I mean, I, I would flood the babies and barely, you know, miss the adults. And, you know, it's just not a, a I actually personally love going in, missing them, seeing where they're at, physically keeping an eye on their, their overall health, their size, um, see what's changing, who's who's about to shed. Who's, you know, who just shed and comes out just Absolutely. glowing. Um, that's what makes this fun to me. So, so you know, I totally understand putting in a misting system. There's a lot of pros. But um, one thing, I don't think it's a bad thing to go check on your geckos every night that way. No, and I think that goes into also there's several different ways to care and keep for these. You know, the hobby is expensive. Having a hobby in reptiles is very expensive. But there's ways to cut corners that your animals aren't having to take the grunt of. But you can cut corners for yourself and you know don't get me wrong misting system set up with all the UVB lights I mean those are beautiful displays and if you got thousands of dollars to do that I think that's incredible mm -hmm. but me no I will hand mist I can save myself a few <laughs> thousand dollars by hand misting and if the time ever comes again that I can't continue I'll either hire somebody or I'll have to downsize but yeah I like to cut corners where I can to save on cost Absolutely. Well, you brought up a good point, actually. I, you know, I don't keep any heating or UV mist on my geckos. All I keep is actually a, uh, because I'm in the north, uh, it does get relatively cold. Not right now. We're in a little right. bit of a heat wave. But my house, I like to keep it around 72. Um, and so the, my gecko room, I like to keep it a little bit warmer, around 77 degrees on average. Um, so I have a space heater that fills the room and it's all you know i spent a little money to make sure that i could you know change it with my phone but um do you keep any heat on your geckos do you just heat your room um what do I you do to keep your unless, geckos at a certain temperature unless it is the middle of winter and you have severe low temperatures i don't think anybody should put heat on their geckos if you're not skilled in that and you're not one that can pay attention to it these geckos are so sensitive to heat versus cold weather they can handle cold weather fine yes you're going to end up killing it i just i don't push heat and no i don't use heat i've got enough other diurnal species that need heat all day that it mm -hmm. warms my reptile room in the summer my reptile room stays about 78 degrees because of like the bearded dragons perfect my skink and all the other ones um, and then UVB is always going to be the never decided dispute between people. Um, I make sure that my animals get calcium with D3 each week with their feeders. And that's another thing. If I can, if I can make sure they're still getting the nutrients they need um, without costing them anything, then, you know, that's going to be the better way for me to keep them. So for me, as long as they're getting that D3 and that calcium, yep. no, as of right now, I don't use UVB for my new cows either. 
Okay. Awesome. I uh, well, actually, I love that segue. We're going to actually start talking about nutrition next. Um, cool. So, speaking of nutrition, what what's your feeding regimen? What do you feed, and what supplements do you put on that that food? Okay. Um, one, I don't think you need to put any supplements on your crested gecko diet. Crested gecko diets are formulated okay. to be a full diet. So these people that put bee pollen or that mix this with this and this with this, um, you need to be careful doing that because some fruits and vegetables can counteract your meal replacement that you're giving your, your geckos. So I don't put anything additional mm -hmm. on their actual crested gecko diet. And then they do get... Babies get fed every other day. Um, all my adults that are breeding get fed every other day. And then any adults that I have just growing out or my juveniles that aren't breeding, they get fed about every two days. Um, so I've kind of got them in different areas of the room. So I know like this side over here is the grow out. So they're every, uh, every two days. And then I know this side of the room, this is babies and adults. So that's every other day breeding adults. Um, and then I do... One day, crested gecko diet, the next feeding will be crickets, or some of them may take superworms, whatever I've got to kind of give them a varied diet, dubias. Um, all of those will be dusted, sure. and then I try to fit in a second feeding of live feeders because I personally think it's very important for them to have live feeders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, for the first year I had gargoyles, I didn't use any feeders. I just used the Pangea right. or Rapashi with insects. Um, and I did uh, add in, I had some leftover uh, um, heavy insect uh, powder from Rapashi, uh, that black soldier fly larvae powder. So I would add right. a little bit extra protein every so often. And, and they grew, but they grew relatively slow. Um, and now I am a big believer that genetics plays a bigger part of how fast a gecko grows. Uh, yeah. Even compared to the protein that they receive, uh, but right. I won't. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I've got one girl who I've never fed a single bug. She won't take them, and she's sixty-two grams under a year. Right. So uh, to me, that's genetics. But I, with that, you know, I really have started trying to feed bugs to my my geckos more often, and I they as babies especially they take them. Um, I would say up until about uh, thirty-five, forty grams. Mine are just ravenous for them every time I feed them, but my adults just and won't touch them. it's an easy way to add enrichment. You know, that's another thing that doesn't get talked about mm -hmm. in this hobby enough is enrichment for these animals. I mean, I don't care if you're keeping your animal in a 12 by 12 by 18. If it's getting enough enrichment, then it's going to have a fulfilled life and it's going to thrive. I don't care if you're keeping yep. them in a 36 by 24 by 24 and giving it all the space in the world. If it doesn't have different smells and different things to explore and experience in their cage, different things to eat um, it's not thriving it's not living its natural uh, amazing life so feeding feeders is a good way to add different smells in the cage allowing these animals to mm -hmm. do their natural instinct of hunting um, as well as just having some other movement in the cage especially if it's you know something that lives by itself and isn't paired up it's just nice to have a little bit of something for them to do that's that's not just sitting on a perch all day and they're hunters. I mean, you look yeah. at their teeth and it's clear they Absolutely. are hunters. And, you know, to watch the babies go, that's one of the best things about keeping these geckos. I posted a few videos on, on YouTube shorts where they just are munching and, and mowing yeah. on these geckos. And you can see how excited they get. It's almost like the first time you see a leopard gecko. Now, they're so obvious because they have that tail wave. Right? right. And then they pounce. Um, we right. don't get the tail wave with these guys, but they still have that same energy um, and derpiness a little bit. But yeah, Absolutely. no, it definitely is great enrichment. And uh, they're not dumb animals. You know, I think that's one thing a lot of people think that, you know, not, they're not Einstein's. Don't get me wrong. They're not right. like my dog. But I... Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, they have a trust factor with you, uh, especially with some of my babies as I'm working with them and handling. Um, some of them were very jumpy, and over time, they are learning to, to trust me and trust people. Um, and so I think the enrichment is a really big part of that. I think the smaller the animal, the smaller the brain with reptiles, but it's also what you measure their mm -hmm. smarts by. I mean, these animals, regardless how big their brain size right. are, they absolutely can adapt, they can survive, um, they can learn, um, but, you know, no, they're not going to be cuddling with us, we're not going to be able to teach them tricks, but 
I think they're smart. I think that we don't give them enough credit for what they actually retain from us interacting with them. You know, you've said you, you've kept a few different species. You're keeping more than I am. Um, for somebody who's looking at either getting a gargoyle gecko versus just a crested gecko, or maybe they're being a little more adventurous and wanting to get uh, a lychee, um, from your experience, what is the simplest pitch of why a gargoyle gecko would be the pet to get? What, what's the major difference between them that you would steer someone towards a gargoyle? I think it's all about preference, first off. You know, I think... Um, what you like is what you like, and I think that's going to make a more pleasurable experience yep. for you. Again, like we talked earlier in the episode, I love the colors of gargs. I love how vibrant they are. But also, I think a lot of people, because they're not experienced with them, don't realize that for me, I think they're a lot more handable than crested geckos. Once they're adults, they don't tend to be as flighty. Um, now, you can get bit, but the only I've only gotten bit one time, and that was by a juvenile. Um, my daughter gets bit mm -hmm. all the time, but she also moves real fast when she's around them. So naturally, mm -hmm. you know, they just get spooked and they'll bite. But, I mean, I just, I've not had the experience of them be aggressive. I just overall, I think they make a much more easier pet and more tolerant to handling pet than even crested geckos. But like I said, you do run the risk. They do have sharp teeth and they do occasionally bite if you spook them. However, it doesn't hurt. Um, you know, they typically don't latch on, but, and then they make awesome displays. I mean, even if you wanted yep. to not handle it, which they're fine. These animals are fine if you don't want to handle them. I see people all the time, I'm rehoming my reptile because I just don't have time to handle it. You probably have the happiest reptile in the world no. yeah. if you're not <laughs> handling it. <laughs> so keep it. Yep. But yeah, I mean, especially if you just want a beautiful animal that you can do an amazing, you know, cage for and set up. These animals are perfect because they will perch out in the open and they are going to be showstoppers. People are going to walk by that cage and they're going to see this beautiful red or vibrant orange animal and they're going to stop. They do it all the time when yep. I bring kids or I bring my friends in my reptile rooms. They always stop at the best looking ones. So I love, yep, absolutely. I, I love Garks. They're just my I, I love that you said that they're more handleable because, you know, again, every gecko is an individual. I've got some jumpier yep. geckos. I've got some that are just... I mean, they're, they're better than bearded dragons as far as handling, right. right? I can put them on my shoulder and sh she'll just hang out. But Absolutely. with that, I've had a few crested geckos over the years. Now, I don't have them anymore. And I mean, just the number of gecko, crested geckos I've tried to handle, especially, you know, even adults, they're a little bit more spastic. They're definitely more jumpy. Yeah. They're a little bit more frayed. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some that are just absolute, you know, potatoes as well. But I would say overall... That's one thing I've noticed and why I really like them. And, you know, I've never been bitten by any of my gargoyles or any gargoyle that I've ever handled or, or had. Right. Uh, maybe it's because I just know what I'm doing and I'm going a little bit right. slower with them. But I also, you know, I've got two little kids under five years old. And my two-year-old every morning wakes up and goes, Daddy Gecko? You know, he wants to go and he <laughs> checks on the geckos. It's the cutest Aww. thing. I got to record it. But, you know, he, I'm teaching him, just go slow, you know, pet the back. And I think that if you educate people uh, on how to handle these, these animals, the chances of getting bit are very, very again. low, you know. So, uh, again, every gecko is an individual, but I, I really I don't think my kids are in any danger whatsoever. No, they're not. They're an incredible species. And like I said, it's not like a lychee bite. So if it did no. bite you or if it did bite your kid, it's not. It may draw a little tiny pick, prick of blood, but it's not going to hurt anybody. Um, and again, like you said, no. it, I also think this also plays into how smart these animals are. If you're going to be more in timid when you go to handle them and you're more mm -hmm. jerky and you're afraid of them, you're spooking them. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. So I think that plays two in the type that you pick you know if you feel more comfortable with crested geckos go with crested geckos you'll probably have a better experience if you feel more comfortable with gargs then go with gargs or work up to it you know with lychees i had my first one for four years and i thought i'm never getting another one i can't handle her we we nickname her bee face because she is an absolute uh -huh. bee um, and I mean, if I walk by, she'll tag the glass trying to hit me in the head. And I'm like, I'm never going to get another one. And I'm so glad that I decided, okay, let me try a couple different ones and personalities because they're amazing when you find that right one that you've worked with. They enjoy you. They tolerate mm -hmm. you. You enjoy them. It's, I mean, they're amazing. So 
Gargs are the same way. I think that if you're intimidated by them, you're never going to get over that until you start handling them and realize, okay, I can predict its behavior. It's not going to bite me. It's not going to maul me. I'm going to be okay. And it's incredible. So, yeah. I just yep. love everything about Gargs. Yeah, there's... It's definitely a little bit easier uh, with Gargs to get over your fear than with lychees, I think. Um, but Absolutely. once you find a really nice lychee, uh, there's one at one of the local uh, shows I go to that I, uh, one of the, the breeders that I'm going to bring on later on, Ariel, he always has a giant GT uh, right. gargoyle, and that thing is just a big puppy dog. So, um, yeah, no, they, they can be absolutely fantastic as well. Right. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about how to keep them enclosures and, and kind of the nuances of how you keep your, your geckos. Um, but I really know you through social media. This is the first time we've actually interacted sort of digitally face to face and talked. Right. Uh, and so I really appreciate you being on. But, Absolutely. you know, social media has been such a big part of my journey through Gargoyle Geckos. Can you tell me a little bit about how you utilize social media to, to bring the community together um, and also just how you use it to, to make your hobby even more fruitful? Well, I am working on my social media presence. I just year before last two years now started a Facebook one. I've had Instagram for several years. Um, I'm in my early mm -hmm. 40s. So producing content and being like all exciting and coming up with all these cool ideas that people <laughs> want to watch. I'm new to that. Um, so I've started trying to get more comfortable by doing like little educational one minute reels on my social media, mainly Instagram. I like Instagram a lot better than I like Facebook. Facebook tends to bring out a lot of drama. Um, and the groups mm -hmm. and all that. So I really like Instagram a lot better. But, um, you know, I'm starting a YouTube channel, which I may, after this podcast, need your help because I cannot get this video uploaded. It has been trying for 24 hours. So anyways, but I'm <laughs> I can definitely to, help you with that. We'll talk. Thank you so much. But I am yeah. trying to branch out there a little bit more. I think social media is a great tool, and especially for the younger generation that's coming into the hobby. Um Mm -hmm. I just hate that it gets really, sometimes it gets into the who's cool, who's popular, who's nastier. I don't like that part of the social media in our industry. Right. Um, but there's so much education stuff out there for you to learn. There's so many great breeders. That's another thing I love about the guard community. Like I said, I've, I breed mm -hmm. several different species. And one of the reasons I've kind of stepped back from crested geckos is I don't like the communities. I don't like the way they treat each other and carry on among themselves. But the garg community has been welcoming since the day I bought my first garg. Every breeder I've done business with, I have an amazing friendship with. Everybody I've met that produces gargs or just keeps gargs that's on my social media. We have an amazing interaction, positive interaction. Um, so there's mm -hmm. different sub-communities within our community. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's weird because it's like different people are attracted to different species. Um, so yeah, but yep. Gar I haven't had Gar a bad experience yet. Yeah, I, I've really you know I, I I found you obviously through just w seeing some of your posts and some of your amazing geckos that make me drool a little Thank bit you. and jealous. Um, and uh, I definitely want to get one one day. But you're right. I mean, Absolutely. I've reached out to so many different gargoyle breeders just to ask questions, to ask you know what do you have? Because I know the some of the best geckos when you're buying them, and I was in buying mode for the last two years. Um, are not always posted on Morph Market. You know, some of them are kept right. back a little bit. And, um, you know, people are more than willing to share what they have and be honest and talk about pricing and talk about, you know, the care of them one-on-one. -on -one. And, I, I mean, I couldn't be where I am today without the social media uh, influence of just the connection. Otherwise, I wouldn't know where to go, to be honest with you. Um, so with Facebook you. and Instagram have definitely helped. YouTube is, is, I think, lacking with the Gargoyle community, and that's what I'm trying to improve a little bit with this podcast, I, but also with my YouTube this. channel. Yes. Yeah. I am very excited that you're doing a podcast directed towards Gargoyle Geckos. Um, you know, I really like the Gecko Pod podcast, but it does still very much Love center it. around Crested Geckos. 
Um, so I love mm -hmm. that this is going to be one centered around gargoyle geckos, but also it's going to open up the industry to start having more education out there, more resources. Um, because I think once we start highlighting these animals more and we start making podcasts that are fun to listen to and to learn about these animals, I think their popularity is just going to keep skyrocketing. So I love that you're doing this. I'm hoping. And I think that guard breeders, they just don't get as recognized yet, you know. And there are some mm -hmm. amazing gargoyle greco breeders, and not just by what they're producing. I mean by their personalities, what they've contributed yeah. to the hobby. Um, I mean, so, yeah, all around, I'm stoked about your podcast. And social media, I'm hoping, is going to continue to bring gargs and garg breeders to the spotlight because they deserve it. A lot of them do. Yeah. And like it. I agree with you that, you know, I, I think I would be lying if I didn't say the gecko pod was a little bit of an inspiration for this. Right. Um, and this is not to compete with the gecko pod. No, this is that's just amazing. to emphasize gargs a little bit more. Um, and so I'd love to collaborate with them if you're listening. But uh, with that being said, <laughs> you know, I agree with you. I, you know, even I think I don't know if you put it on or if it was a collaboration with others, but uh, the giveaway earlier this year for a lot of gargoyles and just to recognize a lot of the gargoyle breeders. Do you know I what I'm talking about on. from earlier this yeah. year? Yep. I put, yeah, so I thought. I, Juliana's geckos, that was amazing. at Juliana's geckos, she had done some breeder showcases years prior that I had seen, and I thought, this is amazing, of course, and she brought in a bunch of different species. It was crested gecko breeders, a couple garg breeders, a couple lychee breeders, and I thought, this is amazing. And like I said, this last three years have just been really good. My connections have, you know, solidified. I've made some great friends. And I really kind of felt, especially women, I kind of feel like this is still a male-dominated mm -hmm. hobby. Um, so I think that even the women that get a lot of followers, you still don't hear a lot of people speaking their names and their brands, you know, when people are like, where do you get your gargs from? They still aren't speaking about the women, even though these women have like ten and 15,000 followers because they're such amazing garg breeders. Um, so, yeah, I decided with the economy. It's the actually it funny is, you say that, too, because... I'll be honest with you. When I think of like the biggest gargoyle breeders that I've reached out to and I want their geckos, almost all of them are women. Almost yeah. all of them. And so, yeah, yeah they, they deserve some recognition. They're, you guys are doing amazing stuff. Absolutely. And most of us are single moms. You know, there a lot of these women are single parents that, you know, they're coming up with this funding and all this by themselves, the time to come up with all of this um, and to handle and care for all of this while we're also taking care of our kids and everything else. I just, yeah. So, yeah, it was just an idea. I didn't even know if anybody would want to do it. So I just sent it out to about 10 of my favorite people that I had really connected with over the last few years. And every one of them were just excited. There was a few. It, it, I had a couple crusty breeders in there, but most of them weren't interested. So it kind of turned into yep. a garg thing all by itself. Um, but that was great. I ran with it. It was an amazing event for the community at the time because the market was slow. Nobody was buying things. But it gave people a lot of excitement about, okay, well, we can still get animals, even though right now we're all on tough times and can't afford to pay $2,000 for a gargoyle gecko right now. Um, so, yeah, it yep. was fun. And I, I don't know. For me, I will definitely be doing one again, I'm hoping, around Christmas. Um, but yeah, it was a great event and I'm glad that I did it. And I'm so grateful to everybody that did it with me. Well, let me know if you're going to do it again. I'd love to, to be a part of it this next time around. I'd love um, to have you. and the funny thing was, is, you know, you watch, you know, when, when I, I put in for every single gargoyle, I didn't win anything, uh, spoiler <laughs> alert, but I was so close. There was I'm literally, uh, I think there was. Yes, it was yours mine. was one. Remember? Yes, it was the yeah, circle no. one. It stopped and then it went yes. right to the next name. Yes, one one next one. I was like, <laughs> oh gosh. But you know what's funny? So you were the first one. And then Red Rack, right? He had okay. his. And my name was, it, the same thing happened. It was one away. And he, he, he messaged oh. me. He's like, I was this close to saying your name. And then it just switched over. <laughs> And I'm like, of course, two, two in one night. My wife's like, oh, right. what are you doing? Why are you complaining? I'm like, because I almost <laughs> won two geckos. Like, you don't know how exciting this would have been. So, you know, just, just that adder, added excitement and community. And again, if you win, win, great. If you didn't win, it was still fun. I, I reached out right. to people I had never talked to before. And thank you for putting that on. That, that to me is, 
just a demonstration of, of the fun that we're having in this hobby. Absolutely. So thank you and for that's that. What it was and let me know it when you're doing it. I will. Awesome. I will. I'd love to have um, you on. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as long as I, I can get these guys to produce enough where I can give one away, but I definitely will. Um, I'll find a way, one way or another. So, well, you can do gift well, certificates, you know, I wanna, too. Yeah, I could, you know. Yeah. I, I, I want to give a gecko away. I think it'd be fun. You I know, know people get more um, excited about that, absolutely. Um, they do. But either way, the purpose is to both reward the community as well as bring some advertising and some recognition to the breeders. So beggars can't be choosy. So yep. some of us do gift certificates, and that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. No, we love anything that, that gives back. Um, and one other little fun story about that is that I, so many people, maybe it was just the way I was posting them and reposting some of the, the geckos that were being given up or being given away. Um, but people thought I was giving away. People in my family would be like, are you giving away geckos already? Are you, you doing a giveaway? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Those aren't mine. I'm trying to win them. And I had a lot of really prominent people and even people across the sea reach out to me because I posted one. It was post your favorite gecko of uh, Cosmic Exotics uh, collection, okay. right? And I picked one of her super ultra blotches and I posted it. I had so many people go, that is the best gecko ever. Oh my God, I can't believe you have that. Where did you get it? I go, Paige it's not mine. Is amazing. <laughs> so the just animals the animals that Paige oh. produces, they're incredible. And Paige is one, Paige, BH Exotics, and Burgies, all three of those ladies, mm -hmm. well, four because BH is two ladies, but all four of those women are huge inspirations for me. They've been around longer than me. A lot of my breeders come from their lines. Actually, I don't have anything yet from Paige. Awesome. Um, so we'll probably be trading here soon in the future. But um, they're all inspiring women in the hobby. They are good women. They are great yep. breeders. They Their care and husbandry, I mean, everything about them are amazing. But Paige does. She is killing it over there with her gargoyle that goes. Oh, she is. I, I, before I even started purchasing, I studied her, her lines, and I love her website that it goes back lineage-wise, and so I want to keep my lineage right. just like uh, you guys are doing. Um, yep. I think it's really important. But, I think it you is. You know, too. I think we're, we're – uh, oh, definitely, um, especially with only two different morphs, especially, you know, kind of narrowing down. Um, I don't want to get into the weeds with morphs right now just for time's sake, but – you know, I do want to say thank you so much for your time. I know we were about an hour into this. All right. So to, to round us out for the day, I really appreciate your time. Um, I kind of want to ask about the overall economy right now. I know that's a big okay. hot topic. Uh, so what is your take on the gecko economy, especially with gargoyles? And what advice would you give a person just looking to get into gargoyles as maybe a hobby or as a business? Well, as far as the market's concerned, I think it's all about perception. I think if you are one of the smaller breeders like myself, you can really use this opportunity to start focusing on other avenues, one, to generate income in the hobby, and as well as build your brand, like social media, the YouTube channel I'm starting, etc. Um, if you are somebody that only wants to, only has this as an income, it's probably a little more stressful for you where the market's at. However, the market will stabilize. People got very spoiled with the COVID checks. Everything was marked up because so many people had money to throw at those high prices. Well, now oversaturation, every, everything's gone up from groceries to gas to mortgages to etc. So mm -hmm. it's going to have a trickle effect on everything, but it will stabilize. It's already starting to stabilize. We're starting to see more, a few more sales. We're starting to see the prices go up a little bit. Um, so it's, it's not a horrible thing like everybody's making it out and we need to stop fear selling where everybody's like, oh, I got to get out of it. I'm going to sell everything for dirt cheap because you're killing us. You're killing everybody else. Um, and as far as well, do you see that breeding, as much with the gargoyles? I don't. Do you see I that as much with the gargoyles? Gargoyle geckos are not gargoyles. They just don't sell as quick as crested geckos just because the demand is never as high as what crested geckos are because they're not they're not promoted right. as well they're just not as known even though they're very popular they're not as popular but you also again like we talked earlier you're just not going to produce non-stop high-end animals you know what i mean so right. typically what you'll see is the ones that are killer are going to go for four and five thousand dollars and nine times out of ten 
First-time keepers and even just hobbyists aren't going to spend that money. Other breeders are no. our best friends. Other breeders are the ones that yep. are going to spend <laughs> the five, six, seven thousand dollars on a high-end garg. Um, so the, the market will be fine as far as breeding right now. I never advocate for anybody to jump into breeding because that's what I did. Um, and I didn't even know mm -hmm. how to do a plant net square. I had no business breeding these animals when I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I don't, I don't really push it. But, yeah, I think that if you're going to keep an animal for a year or more and really be responsible in learning its behaviors and its needs and its care requirements, and then you want to go into breeding something, I'm always open to help somebody. And there's a lot of people out there in the community that will help you. I just think people need to... If you're going to take advantage of the market right now, you need to do it slow. Get you one pair if you're just going to yes. dive in there. Do it slow. Get familiar with it. Um, but, yeah, teach your own. That We're never going to stop people from jumping in and breeding. I don't know why it goes hand in hand. It did yep. for me. It did for you. It just does for some reason with these animals, probably because yep. they're so easy to keep. The community promotes it so much. I don't know. Um, so we're never going to stop it, but yep. we can at least try to promote more responsible breeding, a little, you know, slower start instead of mass producing junk animals that flood the market. So, I mean, just be responsible about it. If that's what you want to do, I did it. I can't really tell anybody, you know, it's the wrong thing to do, but you need to be responsible and you need to put the animals first, whatever you do. So make yep. sure you're dotting all your T's and I's and crossing all your T's because, I mean, it gets expensive. You put a lot more money into mm -hmm. these animals before you'll ever see a return on them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, start slow. I, I completely agree yeah. with that message. I, I started with just, you know, three and taking care of it versus taking care of 20. It doesn't seem like that big of a jump. You know, I know there are some right. keepers where you hear they have two, 300 geckos breeding pairs. And uh, I don't know how they handle it, to be per perfectly honest. I think that it's awesome they do. Um, but right. to me, that's a full-time job. Uh, I know there are some nights I come in here doing my nightly routine. And just to go, oh, you know, I fell asleep on the couch. Do I really have to go spray the geckos tonight? Yeah, I got to go spray the geckos. So being the kind of person that's willing to put in the day in and day out, even though they're easy to keep, they still require care on a very consistent, and consistency is the big word, basis. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad you said yes. You were I one of my so first people I reached out to. Me. I'm and stoked. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Yes. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime down the line. Uh, you are my very first guest. So thank you so much. And uh, I will always remember this. Uh, again, for everybody listening, please, if you like this, uh, encourage us to do a little bit more. Like, subscribe, do all that uh, Facebook mumbo jumbo. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great rest right, of your sweetie, day. Thank you. You too. Hey, if you've enjoyed this video and want to encourage me to make more Gargoyle Gecko content, do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button, share this with a friend, and maybe uh, check out one of the videos right over there. I'll see you next time on Gecko Cove.